It's really allowing yourself to be aware of your bliss. It can't not come up in you. It will always arise. Whatever inherently brings you joy where your bliss exists will find a way to come through. Welcome back, my friends. I'm Bridget Querns, the Chief Activator and Owner at Querns Coaching, LLC. I truly believe that you are here for a reason, and the time is now for you to dive into reconnecting with your inner teacher. It is my joy to partner with you in doing this work. I want to make reaching out to me very simple for you. So I'm going to give you my phone number and ask you to just send me a text message with your name and the reason you so deeply desire to reconnect with your bliss. I will reach back out to every single one of you personally and invite you into a completely free conversation with me where we can gain some clarity on where you are and where you hope to go. I hope every single one of you will take me up on this. I really look forward to getting an opportunity to talk with you. So the phone number is 585-420-7995. I am so excited to talk with you soon. Today I'm here with Eli Ikes, a longtime friend, musician, and budding author. Welcome, Eli. Thank you, Bridget. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So let's just jump right into this. Tell me a bit about what you think is important for our listeners to know about you and uh, what you're up to now. Mm. That's a difficult question. (laughs) I think it's important that people know that I operate from a place of unconditional love, that I... I'm here to serve. I love being of service in any way that is beneficial for whoever I'm in contact with and also myself. And that uh, I enjoy creating space for people to exist in where they feel safe and can be authentic and vulnerable. And that can be expressed in a lot of different ways, but there's space for that too. (laughs) So practically speaking, what does serving others currently look like for you in action? Mm. So there's the thing that I do to create income. So I run a financial education company, which actually you had a big part in introducing me to. So I'm grateful for that. Grateful for you. Um, But that's just one aspect. It's not who I am, but it is a way that I really enjoy serving. Being able to teach people the truth about money and create game plans and strategies that actually work for them, that they can let go of worrying about finances and focus on what's important to them while at the same time knowing that what they're doing with their finances is actually working. That's one way I really enjoy serving. Another way is just very intuitively. I can't help but be in the energetic flow of 
unconditional love that permeates everything in life. So people and opportunities and relationships and things just happen to appear in my realm. And I don't have to think too much about my part in that. I just be who I authentically am. And there isn't much more that needs to be done with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It is. Uh, something I love to talk about on this podcast is connecting people with their, if we want to call it the call on their lives or their purpose or whatever wording you want to place on that. But I love to give people practical and tangible ways to get in touch with the reason they're here so that they can then turn around and offer themselves in a way to the world that is going to create this sense of positivity and joy and flourishing for them in their lives. Mm. So how did you come to be where you are now? And what was that process like for you of getting back in touch? Mm. There are many ways. I would say the beginning of what brought me to become this version of Eli probably started um, at the beginning of the pandemic around 2020. So my marriage was falling apart. Uh, I was realizing things about that relationship that were very unhealthy and that I was kind of, well, I wasn't kind of, I was definitely a level of emotional and psychological abuse going on in that. And uh, I actually started going to a recovery program to help process that with a really close friend of mine and it was a, a Christian-based recovery program and this is how you know it works really well I did it for an entire year one day a week for an entire year um, I ended up getting the perspective and the courage through that to not only leave that relationship but also to leave Christianity as well. <laughs> this is how you know a program like that is actually good and useful because it allows for even that to, to come about. So I was super grateful for that. But that really started something like a spiritual awakening. So I made that really difficult decision um, for the benefit of not only myself, but also for my, my kids as well because I didn't want them to think that what they were witnessing in that marriage to be love because it wasn't it was abuse in a lot of ways and uh, that's not the example I wanted them to take into their adulthood and relationships that they're going to create and foster so there's a lot of factors in that but that was one of the most difficult decisions of my life I'm super grateful for it I learned a lot from it and then uh, after that, not long after that, actually, I reconnected with somebody I hadn't talked to in a very long time that I had loved very deeply. And that taught me a lot of things, helped me heal in a lot of ways, really helped give even greater perspective into what I am and what the purpose of relationships are 
and then the appearance of that relationship fell away. And that was one I didn't realize at the time, but I was extremely attached to. And that's what kicked off probably what you would call the dark night of the soul, uh, the ego death. I, uh, that was at the beginning of 2022 when that happened. And that hit me very, very hard. I uh, didn't eat anything for the first 10 days of that. I ended up losing like 50 pounds in three months, lost a bunch of muscle. <laughs> I couldn't barely do anything except be in pain for quite a while. But during that process, the idea of what me was was shattered into a million pieces. And I'm looking out over all these broken pieces of what I think I am. And I see about two or three pieces that are what I authentically am. I was able to finally find those pieces amongst the thousands of ones that weren't actually me, pick up those pieces and start to rebuild myself with those authentic pieces. And that's kind of what happened. It took a lot of time and a lot of sitting with pain. But I got this very intuitive philosophy from it. It really helped pull me out of that cycle of pain and that was that nothing needs to be different, which is really just another way of saying unconditional love. Because unconditional love has no needs, wants, desires, or expectations, which means nothing needs to be different. And when people hear that, they have a hard time with it sometimes, and I completely understand why. Right? Because we definitely have the feeling of things needing to be different. But that philosophy is encompassing. It includes, it allows for even the feeling of things needing to be different. That doesn't need to be different either. In fact, nothing needs to be different. Whatever's appearing in our realms is inherently satisfied as it is. And that includes the feeling of dissatisfaction. That is satisfied too. So that's where things really started to come to fruition into the character called Eli that you're sitting with now. Well, hi, Eli. It's nice to get to know you again. It's nice to get to know you as well, Bridget. <laughs> so many, many questions came out of this. So I'm going to back way up to when you were talking about the pandemic and 2020 and sort of the global upheaval that began happening then. In a broad sense, what do you think was actually happening and at work? And no. I'll... I'll put this into the context of I've spoken with many, many people who had the same feelings, the same experiences that really had nothing to do with a global pandemic. <laughs> so what was that? Mm. It was what I would call the undeniable opportunity to see oneself. <laughs> yeah, the ability to be distracted by work and other things became very difficult during the pandemic. So what ended up happening was we kind of had this giant mirror put in front of us and against our relationships, our close relationships as well. And when you start to see things like that, clearly without distractions, 
it's hard not to do something about it. Because those things want to be seen. They're either the most authentic threads of what you are, or they're in the way of the most authentic threads of what you are. So of course those things eventually at some point are going to come to the surface. They're going to want to be seen. They're going to want to break out. And the pandemic created that opportunity, that space for that to happen, whether we were ready for it or not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in um, just what I experienced as well, I think. I think there was this opportunity, but even even with that giant opportunity, with that giant mirror in front of us, we still had the option of, okay, am I going to stand here and look at this and do something about it and work with this clay that I am and shape something that I want to see in that mirror? Or am I going to turn my back and ignore it and further distract myself and fall deeper into the illusion? Mm-hmm. And I know that that contributed, at least from what I have experienced, to either people's truthfully enjoyment of the time period of the pandemic or their resentment of it and the pain and the fear that it caused. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to minimize the fact that many people suffered, died, were in, living in great fear of what was going on as well at the same time that this great abundance of joy and coming to know oneself was happening. But isn't that with everything in life and in the physical realm, there's always a duality present. Yes. Yes. Which is ironic because the only absolute truth is that there isn't really any duality, but there's the appearance of it. This is something during this uh, time that we're talking about that I, really come to terms with and have understood that there there isn't actually any separation non-duality just means not two yeah there isn't any separation but because that perfect space exists where there isn't any separation that we are all absolute oneness that allows for the appearance of separation (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is digging deep into something I've been reading lately, which is vibrational medicine, this Mm. great old book I have over here. But one of the concepts that is discussed in that is that the particle where you, you, you behold one and the other becomes the opposite of it. But then when you shift your gaze and behold the other, it becomes the positive of what you were just viewing and the other one shifts to the opposite. Mm -hmm. But they're both both at the same time. Yeah. And whichever one you're focusing on is what you will see. Exactly. So um, that goes way deep into uh, physics and and how that connects (laughs) with spirituality and metaphysics. Yeah. (laughs) Another conversation. Indeed. You talked about uh, sitting with pain and the intuitive philosophy that arose from that. Uh, Nothing needs to be different. But um, Byron Katie, are you familiar with Byron Katie? Byron Katie is the author of the work, and she teaches this radical acceptance of loving what is, which is exactly the same thing as what you're saying, which is that the only time that a person experiences suffering is when they focus on the shoulds, Mm -hmm. and the shoulds don't exist. Yeah. The only thing that exists is right now. I stopped using that word over the last year, should. 
Yep. Because it doesn't fit. Nope. Because nothing needs to be a certain way. And it only sh- is. Yeah. I stopped yeah. using the word hope for the same reason. Because hope gives the connotation that whatever's existing right now isn't okay, isn't satisfied, that something about now needs to be different. And it doesn't. Everything about what is appearing currently is satisfied as it is. How do you keep a sense of joy and and happiness and flourishing in your life when you reject words like hope? Uh, I stop trying to keep things. I stop trying. Trying. I don't try anymore. I allow. I don't attach anymore. I allow. So there, there is a falling away of resistance in what appears in my life. So now what I seem to have is this space inside of me that has room for things like joy to arise in. And it does. And I don't attach myself to that joy. It's not my joy, but I feel it fully. I let it arise in my body and my consciousness, and then I let it pass through me. Same with any other emotion. All emotions are delicious in their own way. But none of them are mine. None of them define me. But there's certainly room for them in me. And it's, from my experience, become quite an enjoyable way to exist. So if we're super present focused, how do we do things like plan or mm-hmm. set goals yes. or cast a vision without losing that? That, that is something that I spent a, a couple of months wrapping my head around during the last year. And I have come to the conclusion, at least within myself, that there's a difference between being and doing. So doing, trying to do, is naturally a resistant energy. There's resistance in it. It means there is something that I don't already have that's unsatisfied that I need to get to. Being is saying, like, nothing needs to be different. Being is being satisfied with what I currently am and what is currently appearing around me. But interestingly enough, when you exist from a present place, like you said, or a place of being, doing arises naturally from it, right? Like this podcast is a great example of it. I'm sure a lot of the pieces that created this that really made things start moving were outside of the world of doing. They just kind of appeared and your role in that appeared without you having to really plan it. It was natural. Yeah, I like to call what has happened with the unfolding of this self, this business, this podcast, I like to call that just the revelation of the next step. Mm -hmm. Because what has naturally happened is out of the pandemic and that, that great inward turning, I have personally sought community and connection mm-hmm. and authentic, vulnerable connection with people. But the really cool thing that happens from this vulnerable connection with other people 
is like we are these bees cross-pollinating all of these wonderful ideas and suddenly a great amount of motion which if you want to continue the metaphor comes in all of these forms of flowers just budding all over the place yeah and then all we have to do is go from flower to flower and in, enjoy their appearance and their scent and pick the ones we'd like to bring with us but those things appeared and became because people connected and that's been the great lie of the pandemic and of you know everyone is contagious and we're all dangerous so therefore we can't talk to people or see people or share things and when you break out of that and you start doing all of those forbidden things like actually having real conversations with people face to face then because the masks too the masks masked our connection and our ability to empathize and our ability to understand what not just what one another were saying, but how we were saying it. Yes. And the looks on our faces because so much of communication is just visual, mm-hmm. not auditory. So having those connections reestablished and bringing community back to the forefront of what I do has become this really incredible and beautiful unfolding of the next steps. Mm-hmm. And it feels very effortless, even though, yes, at some point I have to actually do something. But in the moment, what that something is, is very clear. And then I just obey. Exactly. And do. Yeah. You can certainly try to do doing, but you can't do being. Yeah, I heard something interesting from um, someone who's going to be my mentor very shortly here. Uh, She was talking about, talking to a group about... What would it look like if when we met people for the first time, we introduced ourselves by who we are, not what we do? Yeah. Because we have this tendency to say, oh, hi, I'm Bridget, and I own Quirin's Coaching LLC, and I'm a life coach. But who are you? But who are you? (laughs) That tells me nothing about who you are. So what if we, you know, what if I sit down next to a stranger on the airplane tomorrow and just have a conversation based off of our shared humanity versus titles that we've adopted along the way. Right. <laughs> Things that we've picked up. Yes. Having a authentic, agendaless conversation with someone is mm, such a beautiful thing. It's so natural, too. You would think it is, yet that is so terrifying to so many people. Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, it's like the giant mirror we talked about with the pandemic. Someone that's authentic, I'll preface this by coming with the definition that actually came to me during that spiritual awakening for what authenticity is. Authenticity is honoring your preferences and honoring your boundaries unapologetically. That is authenticity. So if you're operating from a place like that, right, where you inherently honor your personal preferences and you honor your boundaries which change they're not fixed but they're inherent to you you'll always know what they are in any given moment and you do that unapologetically you do that from a place of i don't care what anyone thinks about that or me this is me what happens when you exist in a space with somebody somebody that's operating from that place of authenticity they can't help but see themselves in you. 
and it works both ways, right? If there's something, if I'm having a conversation with you, Bridget, who is entirely authentic, I'm going to see one of two things likely. I'm going to see my fears, my insecurities, my perceived flaws, and a lot of people will see those things and react to them as if it was something bitter, something distasteful, because of course the ego doesn't want us to accept those things about ourselves. Or more often than not, especially in those spaces that we create from authenticity for people, we'll see the parts of us that we love. So when I look at you, Bridget, the mirror, I see things in you that I see in me, like unconditional love and compassion, empathy, caring, nurturing, gentleness. That's a really neat concept that often in this podcast we talk about, my guests and I talk about being bothered by something in someone and how that really just points us back at ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, man, that person in traffic, they cut me off and they were so rude and they this and they that. Why am I so bothered by that? Because if I really am honest with myself and I allow myself to think for a moment, it's probably because I have perpetrated those things on others before. That's exactly correct. And really disliked the way that that made me feel. Mm -hmm. And now I see that in someone else and I have to look at the fingers pointing back at me and I, I don't like that because mm -hmm. that's, that's painful to have to say, oh, I don't like that because that reflects on me. But the other side of that, which I haven't explored a whole lot, is that, and I also think that this comes from a place of a lot of people are broken mm -hmm. and they do not allow themselves to love themselves. Mm -hmm. So if we can't love ourselves, then how can we see things in other people that point us back at the way in which we love ourselves. That's impossible. Yes. So it, it, it always, all has to start with, who am I? What do I value? What are those uh, preferences and boundaries? Because if we don't know those, then we can't know ourselves, we can't know someone else. And then accepting that because of what it is, and then allowing ourselves to see those things in other people and choosing to focus always on what do I see in these other people that reflects on me in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Because that's where we can get into this place of having compassion for all and expressing love for all. But it has to come from inside. Yeah. So what is the step? <laughs> what is the... There you go. Perfect. I'm so glad that we're on the same page. 100%. You guys can't see this because we're not recording video, but Eli already had the steps of how on his phone pulled up ready to go because he knew I was going to ask this. Hmm. So I'm just going to throw it over to him and let him go for it. So I got this uh, probably about a month ago. It was, there was probably up until almost yesterday having trouble. I don't, I don't really want to call it trouble. I'm just staying up really late. And I was like 25% away from being fully asleep. And then I got this message that there's only two steps. There's only two steps. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to grab my phone and type <laughs> this in here. But I was like, I need to do this. So I did, and I put it in the phone. There's only two steps. Step one, honor your preferences and boundaries first and foremost. Step two, 
love with a full heart and a mind detached from expectation. That's it. Honor your preferences and boundaries first and foremost. Love with a full heart and a detached mind from expectation. Hmm. Yeah, that's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of those steps is easy. But it is simple. Exactly. And that's where the magic is, I feel. Yes. Simplicity should not be easy. Just because something is simple does not mean it's easy. No. Usually, the simplest form of something is the most difficult thing for us to do. Yeah. We love to complicate things. Oh, yes, we do. It's much easier. The mind is the mind is a pro at that. <laughs> yeah, the ego. Yeah. Yeah. So honoring your preferences and boundaries, how does someone find out what are my preferences and boundaries? Oh, yeah. It's, it's really allowing yourself to be aware of your bliss. Yeah, because it, it, it can't not come up in you, even throughout any given day. It will always arise. Whatever inherently brings you joy where your bliss exists will find a way to come through. What seems to be the hard part is giving yourself enough space to be aware of it so that you can continue to follow it. Over the last year, I've done a lot of new things that I've never done before. And I follow, follow that bliss as far as it'll take me. I started painting my whole life. I said, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a painter. And then one day in 2021, I'm like, why, why is my mind saying this to me? Why have I told myself this story for so long? And I was just like, F it. And I bought a, like a f four foot by five foot giant canvas, <laughs> bunch of paint, put it on the table in the kitchen, threw my headphones in, started listening to music, and I just painted for two hours. And I painted this beautiful galaxy. That's what ended up coming out. And it was, it was pretty good for an amateur. <laughs> but I've only ever painted three other pictures since then, and that's as far as that bliss has gone for me. And I have no regrets about it, but I'm so glad that I allowed myself to be aware of it and follow it. And so many other things, too, like writing a book. This is all very new for me, but it is a bliss that I really enjoy. It's When these things come up, you realize that you find joy in them as an end of themselves. There's no goal. There's no destination. That is how you become aware and find your authentic preferences and boundaries too. Because the boundaries are essentially just the op opposite of that. Yeah, I think to find your boundaries, you have to follow every preference to its end. Exactly. Yeah. There's no other way. Because how would you know where the boundary exists if you haven't explored that yeah. space? So having that complete, how do we move from that to the, this, this really interesting thing, which you said a while back, and I've been ruminating on it, this detachment. Uh -huh. You know, it's where we have connectedness. So we're not disconnected because that's dangerous. Yes. Connectedness and detachment. Why not disconnectedness and attachment? What's the difference? That's a good question. I've actually, since then, I've tweaked that a little bit. I replaced the word detachment with unattachment because mm. there seems to be a difference there. In relationships, and this is something that I've recently been blessed to explore further, is what it is like to be in an intimate, vulnerable relationship with someone from a place that is lovingly unattached, which really goes right back to nothing needing to be different and unconditional love. 
Unconditional love has no needs, wants, desires, or expectations. It allows for all things to appear. So I can love you unconditionally and fully and be completely unattached to any outcome of our relationship. It is possible to operate from that place. And I'm exploring it now, and it is wonderful. It is absolutely beautiful. I have a, a quote that I kept with me since the beginning of that dark night of the soul that I got from uh, Wayne Dyer. And it's the perfect relationship test, essentially. This, if you want to ask yourself how to test your relationship and where you stand in it, these, this is what you need to say to yourself. So it is, I am not really attached to you at all. I am nearly deluding myself into the belief that without you, I will not be happy. I leave here for you to be yourself, to think your thoughts, indulge your tastes, follow your inclinations, behave in ways that you decide are to your liking. Now, if you can say those words to yourself and you genuinely believe them, you have a really good relationship. Not because of them, but because of who you are, because you can say these things genuinely and you know that they're true. So you suggest someone recite that about their current relationship. Yeah, to themselves, about themselves. Yes. To themselves about themselves or to themselves about the relationship that they're currently in? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. To themselves about themselves within that relationship. Yeah. 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 So you would hold that person in your mind Mm. and then ask these questions to yourself while you do that. And if you can say those words and you believe them and you know they're true, that's a good place to be and it really is. Lovingly unattached. Because if you really love someone, right, you want them to be able to be their authentic self. So step one was honor your own preferences and boundaries first and foremost. But step two, the way that plays out is you allow space for their preferences and boundaries to be honored as well. That is what love and action looks like. So if you had to give a picture, you know, if you were looking at relationships in play, what would be the signs of a relationship in which that is honored? Well, curiosity, I think, is the beginning, right? Because I don't know what your preferences and boundaries are yet, so I want to know. I'm going to be very curious in the beginning. and probably remain that way, too. There's something to that. And then I would say that the next part of that, or how it may appear, is, is comprehension. So I start to learn what it is about you that is inherently preferential and not. And then I want to understand and comprehend, fully comprehend, how that fits into your life. So that way, as, a, as an act of love, I can honor your preferences and boundaries. Not above my own, secondary to my own. Because if I'm trying to do that from a place that is inauthentic to me, it's not worth it. But that's how it appears in a relationship like that a lot of the time. Yeah, so that seems like a great way for someone who maybe may not be in a relationship yet to approach creating healthy relationships. Let's, let's approach this relationship with both partners desiring a, a level of curiosity about what makes you you and what do you enjoy and how can I partner myself in such a way that will honor 
where I'm coming from and also what you, you know, what, what you revolve around Mm -hmm. so that when we are revolving together, we're not colliding. Exactly. (laughs) There's a beautiful dance that's happening and it's not dangerous. Yeah. Um, but what does one do who is already in relationship? Because quite a few of my listeners are, are in long-term relationships of one type or another or many. And how do they implement this right where they are mm. practically and create that within their relationship? That's a really good question. And I have experience with this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am one that loves deeply. Always have been ever since I was a child. And I believed for a while that that was a problem because it allows for a lot of pain to arise, but I wouldn't have it any other way, right? So the reason why I say that is because you get whatever extreme you're willing to allow for. So it's kind of like the backwards law. So if you're in a relationship and it's in some way, shape, or form feels dissatisfied, the first question that you should start to wrap your mind around is, am I willing to allow for the worst possible case scenario? And it's funny how this works, and this works in anything outside of relationships too. Mm -hmm. This is the backwards law. If you're willing to allow for the worst possible case scenario to happen and truly be okay with it and learn to accept that possibility, the likelihood that it's actually going to happen becomes less and less and less. But the more you try to control that worst possible case scenario or avoid it or plan around it, the more likely it is to happen. It's, it's, it's strange how this works, but if you look at times in your life and apply this, this perspective to it, you'll see, you'll have evidence of that being true. So I think that's a really good place to start if you're already in the relationship, because we're attached to the relationship. We have what we feel as an investment, and there is no such thing in a relationship. There is no such thing as an investment. The only thing that could be close to an investment is what you're doing today. What has already been done holds no value or bearing. And it, it, that's hard to take, right? <laughs> but I've done so much. I've put so much effort in. I was, I was married for almost nine years. I did all those things. And they amounted to nothing in those moments that existed as today. But I wasn't, I wasn't then able to allow for that worst possible case scenario. I was so attached. I was squeezing. And there wasn't enough space for unconditional love. So that'd be a good place to start. You ever heard the metaphor? If you want to hold as much sand in your hand as possible. Yep. Hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. The tighter you squeeze, the more falls out. Exactly. Yeah, that's the place I'm in with my business right now. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. When, When we're recording this, this is January 9th, but I'm heading into my business incubator tomorrow, January 10th. And... The best way that I know to enter something that is going to be that grueling of a process is to take all of the ideas and all of the, the wonderful sparks that have come up and bring them all, but hold them all loosely because mm. they will be picked through, sorted out, blown away, you know, rehashed, whatever the case may be. And if I hold too tightly to them, then that will be a painful process. But if I hold them loosely then that will be a beautiful process. And there's room for more. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Better. 
more and better yeah. and evolution of that. Yeah. I guess I have, I have some final questions for you, although I hate to do this and let you go, but what I do at the end of every single one of my podcasts is throw five random rapid fire questions at my guests and they answer with the first thing that comes to mind. I got one for you too. So we can do that after before. Sounds great. (laughs) All right. So my first one, I love this question. What should everyone start doing today? Hmm. I don't like to use the word should, Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) Rephrase it however you'd like. Okay. What could someone do today? Hmm. Spend at least 30 minutes with themselves, by themselves, without any distraction whatsoever. Remove all distractions for 30 minutes. If you you ever want to experience hell, spend 48 hours with yourself without any distractions. But man... Yeah, if you want to find yourself and get to know yourself better, it's a good way to do it. But not everyone has 48 hours that they can spend to do that right today. But 30 minutes, that'd be a good place to start. It'll get you started. How do you center yourself? Mm. See what I just did right there with the vibration of my voice? That's how I do it. Mm. Yeah. I don't even try to do that anymore. It just happens. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you meditate for long enough, you do breath work long enough, you play with mantras or sound, yeah, that naturally happens, yeah. Yeah, I take a deep breath and then exhale whatever vibration my body wants to escape. And in that moment of exhale and vibration, I feel very aligned. Yeah, I think this is a whole discussion for another time, (laughs) but the... The energy of sound and vibration will literally retune places in your body that you didn't even know needed to be realigned or retuned. Mm-hmm. So when we do that and we we let out the sound that is most needed at that moment, it will do what it needs to do and there's no consciousness that has to come into play there. Exactly. Where can people always find you? Mm. Right here. <laughs> right now (laughs) okay philosopher eli thank you (laughs) what do you enjoy listening to oh that's hmm. music is my love language so so many things i have this playlist you could probably find it if you search hard enough on spotify i started creating it uh, after that dark night of the soul I didn't listen to any music during that entire four-month period, which was kind of difficult for me, but it needed to be done. But after that, I started cultivating this playlist of songs that I had never heard before. And I allowed them to come to me. And the playlist is called Play Me When I Die. Because basically it's an honoring of each of those moments of life. And it's essentially a soundtrack of my life. And I I listen to that and cultivate that every single day. And it's beautiful to experience as a backdrop to whatever's going on in the moment. Mm. One of my favorite things to do is walk around a city. I did this in Chicago last week with my friend. And I put one earbud in my ear, one in hers. And we just walked around Chicago on New Year's listening to the music and experiencing those moments together. It was magical. That's very cool. Where is the most grounding place in nature? Mm. 
I would say two places. So a place that you inherently connect with earth, the earth, physically grounding yourself to earth, no barrier between you and it. And this, the reconnecting or the appearance of reconnecting with the God that you are, the God that I am, that which we are is inherently grounding as well. Existing in a space of unconditional love with someone else. Okay, your turn. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is my favorite question to ask somebody. If you found what you were looking for most, would you be able to recognize it? Feel free to take your time on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I love having the tables turned like this. Um, so this came up in a hypnosis session that I did with a with a good friend a while back. And we physically, in this hypnosis, walked me through a landscape and into a cave. And at the end of that cave, there was a box, a treasure box. And the only instruction he gave me was open it. And I think this is so neat because this revealed what I most deeply desired without him ever needing to say those words. And when I opened it, there was this overwhelming, joyful laughter. Mm -hmm. And it was like children, you know how children laugh and it's a full belly laugh and it's a really true, deep joy that is unattached to anything that is an outside stimulus. It's just bubbling up laughter. That was it. Mm. And so I know when I'm on the right track because I feel that energy center in me activated with joy Mm -hmm. and it radiates out and it is unmistakable. And if I feel it, I know that what I'm doing or the path that I'm on is correct. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) It does. It does. There's no wrong answer for that question. That's a cool question. I like that. I might have to steal it. Yeah, please do. Okay. If any of our listeners would like to connect or find out more about what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, probably Instagram or Facebook. And as always, I will be sure to post links to those in the show notes and on our social media so everyone can easily access that. And uh, we'll definitely be keeping people updated with the evolution of your book. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Passionate Pursuits, powered by Corns Coaching, LLC. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now. This show is completely ad-free, so if you gain value from listening, please leave a review and share with a friend. I am so grateful for you. Thank you.